Hey everyone, and welcome to the Halloween episode of Marshall's Podcast. I'm Marshall, as the name and the title implies, and they call me Penis Man. Um, today in the Halloween episode, we're going to be reading a scary story, so be on the edge of your seat for that, and then I'll re- and then I'm going to go get into the questions you guys suggested over the week. Um, before we get into that, though, I want to mention the merch. We the merch is still up. We've got hoodies, uh, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, uh, crew neck sweatshirts, stickers, and mugs. So if you're interested in any of that, it all says listen to Marshall's podcast, except for the stickers and the mugs, because those just say Marshall's podcast. And we're um, so as as um, I've I've announced I'm announcing one thing though, I'm running for president of the United States of America. I, Marshall Gollings, am running for the 2020 president. And I'm going to be the president. So we're making Marshall 2020 merch. So be on the lookout for that. Um, we've got t-shirts and stickers. I wanted to have um, pins, but we, uh, you know, that's like a Teespring premium feature, and we're not allowed to get that. So, uh, yeah. So check out the link tree. That's where you'll find the merch site. The link tree is in the link of the Instagram and the Twitter. Um, that's where also where you'll find our Discord, which is a place where you can hang out. And in future episodes, when I have guests, that's where we'll be recording. Uh, hang out and talk with us. You know, send me your feedback, send reviews or something. I'll read them on. I'll read. I'll read them. And. Uh, and yeah, so anyway, this the story we'll be reading is called The Fairies. Um, I'm not sure who it's by. My internet is being really buggy and I can't... The page isn't loading, so... Actually, the credit says Tom, anonymously author- authored. So, whoever Tom is, he wrote this story. So, uh, yeah, let's just get right into it. This one, like I said, is called The Fairies. I've always been fascinated with the unknown, particularly creatures of the unknown. I don't know when this obsession of mine started. It probably started when I was a young kid and, and would watch documentary series on aliens, Bigfoot, Yeti, unknown sea monsters, and the like. My obsession earned me and my, me my share of names and bullying in school. Like a good nerd, I pushed up my glasses and shook it off and moved on to college where I earned a degree in zoology and eventually my master's in, in PhD. Along the way, I had discovered the gym, alcohol, women, contacts, and other things in my life, other things life had to offer. However, however, my main love was cryptozoology. I spent two years of my late 20s running around the world with well-known and respected biologists, zoologists, marine biologists looking for new spe- new species and studying studying others that we know little about my colleagues and myself found new insects fish reptiles but never never anything that would fall under the strange or mythical i made a name for myself in the science community people like to say i could find anything but bigfoot i enjoyed my small notoriety after those exciting two years i decided i would work somewhere more traditional while creating footprints around the world was fun, I was tired of never being in one place for more than a few weeks at a time. I also wanted to spend more time trying to research and find those storied monsters than work on someone else's ex- expedition. I landed a job at a big state university in Ohio, teaching in, the, teaching in the biology department. I also started a cryptozoology club, which attracted a large following of students. With permission from the university, I would take students to so-called haunted places, hotspots for unknown creatures, and the like. We, We would always come up with some crazy, disembodied EVP, blurry video, or grainy photo. We never had anything conclusive, but it was fun for the students and myself, and it got them to think outside of the box and question what we really know about our world. The passion or, or for trying to discover the unknown that I saw in the group's members is what kept my interest in it strong. Like I said before, my main love was cryptozoology until one f- faculty Christmas party. There, I met Diane. She was this beautiful, brown-haired woman about my age who worked in the English department teaching creative writing. 
I knew I needed to meet this woman. I wasn't a scrawny nerd from high school anymore. I was in shape, successful in my field, and not too bad looking. At least I told myself that. I used a corny pickup line to introduce myself. She had a corner, cornier comeback. We laughed, talked the entire party, exchanged numbers, and the rest is history. A few months after we started dating, we moved in together. I had never fallen so hard for someone. We shared a lot of common interests, but had a lot of differences. I liked the outdoors, and she preferred to stay in. To stay in, I was a busybody, and she was more relaxed. We both liked wine and a good book. She was a published writer who wrote these amazing stories about make-believe creatures. I read several of her short stories, and one of her books, which all seemed to be centered on forest fairies and children. Diane, I said, closing her latest published book as I sprawled out on the couch one evening. Have I told you that you're an excellent writer? Diane was in the kitchen making her famous chicken Alfredo. Yes, but you can tell me again if you like, she playfully responded. Can I ask you a question? Where do you get your inspiration for these stories? She walked out of the kitchen, wiping her hands on a dishcloth. I get them from the stories my grandmother told me when I visited her in Canada when I was young. I sat up on the couch, and she gracefully took a seat next to me. Tell me more, please, I asked inquisitively. When I was young, Diane began, to, with, Diane began with a look of remembrance on her face. We would visit my grandmother every summer in Alberta. She lived in a town called New Village. There weren't many people there. It was a beautiful town shadowed by snow-capped peaks. There was a great big pine forest that lay between the town and the closest mountain. It was probably a few hundred acres or so. At the base of the mountain was this crystal clear lake that was full of fish and that emptied into a small river. All the kids in town would play in the forest, in the forest, lake, and river, but were strictly forbidden from staying out past sundown. This was enforced harshly by the townspeople, including my grandmother. Diane paused for a moment. Go on, I urged her with a smile. So, my grandmother would tell me about the fairies in the forest and how they liked to play tricks on people. If I disobeyed my elders, that would, they would take me away forever. These stories always freaked me out. My parents didn't like her telling me these stories, but they agreed that I should listen to my grandmother and be inside before dark. The stories didn't bother me too much until one of the boys with one of the young boys I played with each summer went missing in the woods. He ran away one night into the forest after a fight with his father. They never found him, and the townspeople didn't bother looking for him till after sunrise. I just can't believe that people wouldn't go looking for a boy in the forest until it was sun up unless they all truly believed in the fairies. The fairies in my books are mischievous, but much nicer than the ones in my grandmother's story. They never took take people away. Diane's face was now a half-smile. Kind of your thing, isn't it? What do you mean? I looked at her, slightly confused. You know, imaginary creatures that live in the woods. She looked at me with a smartness grin. Smart-ass grin. Well, I've heard and read up on fairy folklore, but it's not something that many cryptozoologists have spent, spend a vast amount of time on. However, I never heard a town afraid of fairies, especially from a first-hand account. It would be interesting to investigate something like that. Diane smiled a, a mischievous smile that stretched from ear to ear. Good. My parents want to meet you, and I want you to meet them. My grandmother passed away when I was young, and my parents inherited the house. They retired there a few years ago. You can come with me this summer when I, vi this summer when I visit them and solve, the and solve the town's fairy problem. By this point, she was standing over me, giving me the puppy eyes to agree. Just like that. Our summer plans were made, and in early June, I found myself on a plane for, for, from Ohio to Alberta with Diane in a bag full of some of my recording equipment. I took on my ex so in, in, in a bag of some of my recording equipment, I took on my excursions with my student group. Once there, we picked up a rental car and drove what felt like hours into the forest-covered mountains. At one point, we left the winding highway to exit onto an even more treacherous two-lane road. Fifteen minutes from the highway, we arrived at what looked like a ghost town. There were several small shops that were closed and what looked like an unfinished hotel from the 60s. This place has become a ghost town since I was a girl, Diane said as we drove past the abandoned buildings. A few, minutes a few short minutes later, we pulled into her parents' driveway. Her parents' house sat on the short dead end, a short dead-end road of a few dozen houses. Behind her house lay a thick pine forest she had mentioned to me. In the distant background loomed a majestic snow-capped mountaintop. 
Her parents greeting, greeted us with smiles at the door. Diane excitedly hugged her mother and father. I, trying to hide my nerves, meeting my girlfriend's parents for the first time, quickly shook their hands and introduced myself as John. The guy they were here to fix their fairy problem is John. The guy that was here to fix their fairy problem. They both smiled and paused before saying through their teeth, the fair problem is under control. Come in, come in, dinner is, come in, dinner is about ready. My nerves attempted to be funny. My nerve, my nervous attempt to be funny appeared to have become a strikeout. Dinner went well and we talked about our trip up and what I did at the university. With our bellies full, Diane's father invited me on out to the back porch for a beer. So you teach cryptology, crypt, cryptozoology at this university? Diane's father asked before taking a big swig of beer from his bottle. No, I teach animal behavior and social interaction. I would like to teach cryptozoology at some point, but I, I need to have the class curriculum written and approved before I can. I slouched in my porch chair and began to enjoy my beer. I suppose Diane has told you a bunch about a, a bunch of the crazy stories about fairies in our woods. I looked at him and gave a small nod as I took another sip from my bottle. They're all true. Sounds stupid crazy, but they're all true. My wife told me those stories too, and I wouldn't have believed them if I hadn't seen some crazy stuff or experienced our neighbor's niece disappear one night two summers ago in that pine forest. He pointed towards the woods woodline just off his backyard while taking another swig from his bottle. We've had a drought the last few years, and the pines are all dried up and getting brown. The forest used to be dark and green, and now it's just a sad brownish color. Diane's father finished his beer and looked up from at the sky. The pines were brown and looked all dried out. Even in the setting sun, the air wasn't filled up with typical pinewood smell. In fact, in fact, the air was cool and stale. You want to see a magic trick? He asked me excitedly. Uh, sure. I said, half expecting him to pull out a coin from pull a coin out from from behind my ear. Watch the back gate. The sun sets at about nine p.m. today, and about that time the latch will pop up and it'll swing open. No hands, he said, waiting in his hands. He said, waiting his in the air. Diane's parents' yard was fenced in with a single black gate, which led directly into the forest. Some of the forest pines branches hung over just over the gate. I wasn't quite sure how to take Diane's father's statement, so I waited. The sun slowly crept behind the mountains, and the clock reached 9 p.m. I finished my beer as we sat quickly on the back porch. As I was about to get up and tell Diane's father that this was the longest trick I'd ever waited for, the sound of scraping against the opposite side of the fence caught my ear. It started at the back corner of the fence. It sounded like a child was dragging a stick across its pickets as they walked by. The sound accelerated towards the gate. I was laser-focused on the gate, paying no attention to Diane and her mother, who walked out onto the deck with us. Ching! went the gate, gate latch, and, and the gate swung open slowly, as if, it was, as, as if pushed softly by an invisible force. No way, I muttered to myself as I slowly began to walk off the deck towards the back gate. A strong, forceful grip pulled me back up on the deck. My head snapped around to see Diane's father gripping my arm with force. Don't go over there, he said with a stern, with a stern voice, and look. Robert, let him go, Diane's mother chimed in. John, stay here. Do not go anywhere near the, near the woods or the wood line after the sun has set. Mom, Dad, stop, Diane strongly pulled me away from her parents. You're embarrassing me. She turned to me and said, I'll take you into the woods tomorrow. It's fine. You'll see. Come inside. She turned and graciously stormed back into the house. Feeling awkward, I pretended to, to take one last drink of my beer and began to follow Diane. You can go into the woods all you want during the day, but as soon as the sun sets, you must be out, Robert said, cutting me off before I could walk inside. I stopped and looked at him. His face showed genuine concern. I glanced back at Diane's mother. Her face had the same expression. Diane really likes you, John, her mother stated, started. We would prefer it. We would prefer if you left with her when you visit here when your visit here is done. Explore all you want, but please listen to us about the woods. Yes, please listen to Mary and me, Robert said, almost pleading. I looked down. I understand. I'll make sure to heed your warning. I I brought some research equipment with me. Is it okay if I place a camera on the fence to capture this tomorrow? That'd be fine, Robert said. Just do it early when it's still light. 
I agreed, and with that, I went inside feeling a bit confused at Diane's parents' insistence on staying away from the woods after dark. Diane and I got ready for bed that night as I laid in bed with her head on my chest. I tired to piece together if her family really believed in fairies and if their facial concern earlier was genuine. Your family really believes in the fairies, don't they? I asked Diane. She rolled over and picked up her head to face me. It's embarrassing. Not the fact that they believe in that stuff, but that they're so adamant that to, that the woods are a bad place. If I had been a rebellious kid, I would have if, if I had been a rebellious as a kid, I would have run off into the woods many times. They're beginning to act like my grandmother when I was a child. I don't know if my dad still does the gate trick, but it's getting old. He pulled it on me two years ago and insists it's not him. Diane was getting more annoyed the more she talked. I'll take you into the woods tomorrow. You'll see. I used to play there as a child. There's nothing wrong with it. I pulled I pulled her in tight to my body and asked and, and kissed her goodnight softly. Okay, we'll, we'll go have an adventure tomorrow, I said before dozing off. The next morning, Diane took me into the pine forest after breakfast. She showed me all of the things she could remember from her childhood. She showed me her favorite trails, which had become slightly overgrown. She showed me her favorite spot on the river and her favorite shore of the lake. The lake shore was littered with dead fish here and there, but strangely no rotting fish smell. It's a shame that they died. I remember the lake being so healthy when I was young. We used to fish here as kids, she explained as we navigated the shores. On our lake shore was an on the lake shore was an old foundation of, to a building that never started. Diane said that it was supposed to be a lodge for visitors to the lake in the 60s, but it was never finished. The crumbling foundation was covered in moss and looked more like a pathetic version of Stonehenge than anything else. It was about noon, and we agreed to head back through the woods to get some lunch at her parents' house. As we walked hand in hand through the woods on trails that I was, that I was surprised she could still navigate from her childhood memories. I noticed that almost all of the pines were brown or brownish-green. Their trunks were rather large, swollen even, as if stuffed with something. And most of the underbrush was dead or looked like it was dying. Diane mentioned that there had been little rain during the summer and spring of the last few years. I thought it strange that the forest would be dry dried out, but the river and lake didn't seem to be at low levels. At lunch... Robert brought the topic of cryptozoology and my interests in what they felt were fairies in the forest. You should talk to Daniel Whitefeather. He's a detective with the county and lives a few houses down. He's also the last, tri the last of tribe that once lived there. He's sort of an amateur historian for the area and has plenty of stories to tell about the fairies in the woods. I'll give him a call and tell him you're coming over. Robert gave me his address and the, and the encouragement of Diane. I ventured to his house that afternoon as Diane and her mother had planned to do some shopping in the next town over. I knocked on Daniel's door, unsure if he would be home or not. The lock unlatched, and the door slowly opened to an older man with a weather-beaten face. Are you Daniel? I asked, reaching out with my hand for a shake. My name is John, and you want to know about the woods, correct? He said, cutting me off. Robert called and told me about you. Come in, please. I've got a few hours before I need to head off to work to cover a night shift. I entered his house. It was large and filled with, mount with mounted animals, fish, and a variety of what appeared to be Native American memorabilia. He led me to his living room and motioned for, and motioned for me to sit. His living room walled on all sides by filing cabinets and bookshelves. There was no TV, and a thick layer of dust caked most flat surfaces. So what can I tell you, Daniel stated, slowly taking a seat in, a, slowly taking a seat in the chair across from me. Well, whatever you know about the forest or the supposed creatures in the forest, I state, I started. I study unknown creatures, myth mythological creatures, or whatever you want to call them, and I'm familiar with fairies and folklore, but I've never encountered an entire town that seemed to be f that seemed to fear these creatures like they supposedly do here. Daniel sat down for a moment and looked up at the ceiling as if to pull his thoughts down through the tile. My tribe, or rather my ancestors was the first to settle in this area. As the oral tradition goes, we were once a large and proud tribe that numbered greatly in Alberta long before the white settlers came. A large run of winters and, and warring, the other tribes cut our numbers down and our enemies pushed us out of our original land. We wandered until we found this place, cold, 
starved, and desperate for shelter, we felt blessed to have come into a place with good mountains, with with good hunting, the mountains to shelter us, and a river and lake to suppose and to supply us with fresh water. I looked at him eagerly as he took a small break to remember his words. He sat up and leaned forward in his chair. The story goes that when we found this land, we were forbidden to enter the forest by some strange creatures that lived there. My people would call them the forest walkers. They said they were guardians of the pine forest here. The chief, seeing his people starving and without a place to live, struck a deal with the forest walkers. We could hunt, fish, live here, and they would protect us as long as once every moon cycle, we agreed to give them one of our own. Wait, I interrupted. So, like a sacrifice? Yes, Daniel continued. Each full moon, we would send one chose person by lot into the forest. Their screams would fill the night sky. It was a horrible thing, but for us to survive, the chief made the deal, and we and we kept to it. Many years would pass as we sacrificed one after another of our, te- of our own. Our numbers would slowly decrease over time, but those who remained were always safe, had food to hunt, had fresh water to drink. Daniel got up from his seat and walked over to his bookshelf and pulled out a leather-bound book whose page edges were yellowed from age. He plopped the book down in front of me on the, t- on the coffee table between us. The book landed with a thud, and a dust cloud filled the air. Sorry, I've been busy and, and haven't had much time to clean. Daniel stated, fighting back a cough and swatting the air to clean it. It's no problem, I calmly replied as I sat back trying to avoid the allergen-heavy mushroom cloud. But how does... But, but how does what appears to be an Indian legend turn into a town of people fearing the woods? That book, he said, pointing at it, contains all of the stories about the forest walkers that have been passed down from generation to generation in my tribe. I started writing them down when I was young. I gave, I got them from my elders, my relatives, and many others before they all passed. I'm the last one, and I figured someone should document this so others can know what we witnessed. Daniel sat back in his chair again, now that the dust had settled. Everything changed when the white man came into our land. First, it was one man. He was an explorer. We, didn't, we did not see him as a threat, so we let him pass. However, he found gold in the river. He told others. Soon, many others showed up looking for gold in the river. They brought furs, meats, beads, and guns. They were willing to trade for small pieces of land so that they could live here while they prospected. We agreed. The, prospe- the prospectors were supplying us with new things, and we were tr- trading them small parcels of our land for them. The white people cut down the trees to make the clearing in which our town sits now. They built houses. They hunted and fished. We no longer sent one of our own in the forest every full moon. So the sacrifices stopped because you were getting what you needed from settlers? I questioned. What about your deal with the creatures? We live peacefully, peacefully alongside the white man. Daniel started again. The forest walkers were angry that we had broken our deal. And they would watch us from the tree line in the shadows. Their anger could be felt. One night, several prospectors who were fishing the lake came home through the forest lake. Through the forest lake, our walk, our walk, the walkers took one of them violently in front of the others. Their screams filled the night air. The survivors, the survivors fled and never returned. They left their belongings and even their gold because they were so scared. Soon, people who were in the woods past dark began to disappear. No trace could be found. Daniel sat up and took a deep breath. When people started to avoid the woods after dark, they started to trick people into coming to the woods. They would mimic the cries of children or loved ones during the night. Anyone who ran into the woods to save them would be taken. They took three mothers of our tribe once because the walkers cried like babies in the forest. The The women ran to save the babies only to be taken away. That only took one person at a time but they started taking taking them more often as revenge. <clears throat> so they can mimic sounds or voices? I questioned a bit confused. Yes, he began while rubbing the side of his head. They can take anyone's voice or sound like anything that would entice you to enter the woods. The greed of gold, the greed of gold was greater than the danger of being taken, and more and more white people showed up until so many had disappeared that the word had gotten out that this land was cursed. Many people left, but those who were w- widows with small children stayed. Everyone who lives here now is a relative of someone taken. 
My tribe helped them and welcomed them to stay here. It became forbidden to enter the forest at night. So why are there people still living here, I questioned. Why not packed up and leave this place? Is it cursed? My people made a pact with those who were left from the prospecting rush. We agreed to guard this place and keep people from the evil there. here. We would tell no one about this place. We had, a, we had made a deal and broken it. We had put others in danger. However, no matter what we did or said, the word always made it out about the fishing and hunting or the gold in the river. People would come and disappear. Together we would warn them, but they would disappear in the woods after dark. Once in the 60s, a group found out about the fishing and tried to build a lodge on the lakeshore. They are all gone. We tried to warn them, but they called us insane. It's only recently that this town and forest have gone unnoticed by the outside. There have only been a few, dis a few disappearances in the last 10 years. I've seen the foundation. I sat up in the chair as I was drawn to his stories more and more. Daniel got up and walked over to one of his filing cabinets. He pulled open the top drawer, creating another small dust cloud. He reached inside and pulled out a black binder that was stuffed full of paperwork. How far am I? Am I almost done? No, I'm not almost done. And I'm kind of running out of time. Oof. I would start skimming, but uh, I'm reading a story. Here, he said, motioning me for take, to take the binder. What is this? I questioned, taking the heavy binder from him. It is all of the open missing person cases that I'm in charge of. They are all from here. That's crazy, I said as I opened the binder. There must be hundreds of cases in here. Some people say I'm a shit detective. I know what happened to those people, but it's not something you can put on an official report and still keep your job. If you look at the reports, they all have the same pattern. These people were all last seen before dark in the forest. I ended my conversation with Daniel as he was about to get ready for work. Oh, fuck. Uh, I ended my conversation with Daniel as he was about to get ready for work. He was working a missing person case from two towns over. He let me borrow the case binder and a book of his tribe's stories. That evening, I set up a small camera and microphone on the opposite side of the fence, in Diane's parents' backyard. If I could get something on tape, I might understand better what I was dealing with. I paired it with my laptop, set it to record, and left the laptop in the bedroom while I got ready for dinner. While sitting on the back deck after dinner, I eagerly, I eagerly read through the stories of his ancestors. Um, the early interpretation was the sound of a stick being drug, drug across the fence and the pop of a fence latch, coupled with Robert's voice repeating right on time as the sun set behind the mountain. I had forgotten about my camera at this point. That night, I excitedly discussed with Diane what I had discovered during the afternoon. You should interview the neighbors. Most of them are older and are retired, so they'll be home. I think I'll do that tomorrow, I said excitedly. The idea of having discovered a legitimate cryptozoology find that I could present to the community rate that, that I can present to the community raced through my mind like a blazing wildfire. Only if you take me to a fancy breakfast in the morning, Diane said with a devilish smile. Mother and I are going to go pick blueberries tomorrow tomorrow evening to make a pie. It's her specialty specialty, and I think you'll like it. Deal. I went to shut off the lights and realized my camera was still recording through my laptop. Diane, let's see if my camera caught what popped up what popped open your back gate. Diane slid across the bed as I swiped my fingers across the trackpad to remove the screensaver. The camera screen popped up and the camera looked like it was facing up at a window on a house rather than down the fence the, rather than down the fence row. That's our bedroom window, Diane said quietly. I stood up and walked over to the window. I could see the power light on my camera looking back at me. Something had moved it. Moved it. No one had touched it since I set it up that I could recall. I hopped back on, onto my laptop and rewound the captured footage. At 8.57, the camera started to wiggle, and then it violently drops at an awkward angle to the ground, just as the fence is starting to be scraped. We watched and listened as the gate latch unlocked and the gate swung open, but wh whatever, whatever did it was just off camera. Did you hear that? I asked intensely. What? I bumped the audio, I bumped the audio level up and skipped back on the video. In a, hissing toward, in a hissing tone, the words, no see yet, it sounded. 
It was quiet, but clear. What was that? Diane asked, with a quiet, shocked tone. I fast-forwarded through the footage until I saw the camera start to move. From there, an unseen figure picked up the camera and put it on the post where it was now facing our bedroom window. Our bedroom light came on, and in the background of the footage you could hear a faint giggle like a small child would make. John, that's creeping me out. Diane reached, ac Diane reached across my lap and shut my laptop. Turn on the light. We're going to bed. She rolled over into the bed and pulled the covers over her body. I shut the light off and followed. The next day, after taking Diane to breakfast in the next town over, I went door to door asking people what they knew about the forest. Many were hesitant to talk to me until I explained who I was, what I believed, and that I intended to study what was going on. Once that was out of the way, I was warmly welcomed into many of their homes. The townspeople had a wide, wide array of stories. I wrote them down as much as I could in a notebook. Their stories ranged from relatives disappearing, to hearing strange voices at night, to seeing groups of travelers go missing in one night without a trace. Many were older stories of loved ones who wandered into the forest late or failed to make it out before sundown. Everyone seemed to believe in the creatures that populated the pine forest, but no one had ever seen one. One older gentleman mentioned his sister had gone into the forest on an afternoon stroll and never returned. For months afterward, he swears he could hear her voice calling out every evening to him from the woods, but he dare not enter. Eventually, the voice stopped. The rest, the rest of the afternoon, I decided I, 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 I dedicated to taking notes on the missing persons cases. I only stopped to kiss Diane goodbye after she and her mother left to go get blueberries from the forest. She had promised to be home in an hour or two. I was fine with her going, since it would be several hours before the sun went down. You feel okay going into the woods after the video feud from last night? I questioned. Diane shuddered and then sighed. Nothing bad has ever happened during the day. My mother will be with me. I'm sure it was probably, probably my dad playing a trick on us. Just come home safe to me. She smiled and closed the door. I returned to my reading. Each case had the same set of circumstances. The person was last seen going into the woods just before dark or just after dark and not returning once the sun had set. Several of the cases mentioned, mentioned witnesses hearing strange sounds from the woods. One case in particular mentioned that a, a county police search group went into the woods after dark, none returned. There was no good explaining of why the people went missing. News clippings placed the blame on people getting lost in the Canadian outback or the possibility of these people running into bears or wolves. Exhausted after all my note-taking, I closed the binder full of cases and sat back in my seat. Back, sat back in my seat in the living room. I breathed deeply and stood up collecting the binder and book that Daniel had let me borrow. The front door swung open slowly. I looked up to see Diane and her, and her mother, but to my surprise, Robert walked in. Hey, I didn't even know you were gone, I said in a tired tone. Yeah, Robert said, start, starting to look as if he took off his shoes at the door. You were buried, buried so deep in your reading that you hadn't didn't notice that I left for town. Just went to get some gas for the mower. Yard is getting kind of long and needs to be trimmed. Keep an eye out for Diane and Mary. They went to pick blueberries in the woods and haven't returned yet. Okay, the girls still have some time. Sun, sun won't set for another three to three and a half hours. I could hear a slight worry in his voice. I finished gathering my things and walked to Daniel's house to return his items. When I arrived, he was sitting on his front porch, still in, still in his police uniform, with a beer. John, he said with a smile, holding his beer up in, in salutation, I see you've come to return my binder and book. Did you find what you needed? I handed him the book and binder and, and took a seat behind him, beside him. I found a lot of interesting stuff. I, I interviewed many of the neighbors, and I believe everyone feels like there is something in the woods. All of the missing cases are similar. All the Indian stories are intriguing, but tell me something. But there are still people living here? I understand your ancestors made a pact, but why not just up and leave? Daniel put his beer down on the porch and sighed deeply. He raised his hands up and placed them behind his head before sinking back into his chair. This will sound stupid, but, but it has been an oral, oral tradition and agreement of those, those raised here that we would stay and make sure nothing would be built on this land beyond what has already existed. We didn't want what other folks to, we didn't want other folks to suffer what our ancestors have gone through. Everyone here is a relative of a pro, of a prospector or a settler that came here many years ago. Everyone has lost someone to these woods. All those boarded buildings in town belong to someone here. 
they've just agreed to never sell them and never let them fall to dust. Most people couldn't afford to move away anyway. Some of the houses up the street are the same way. Why give something to someone in, in the horrid place? We grew up here. We knew what it's like to hear the noises in the night and fear for visiting relatives. If the townspeople all die off and this place falls off the map, it'd be best for everyone. He took another deep breath. We are the last of the people who will live here. Diane's parents were raised here. She wasn't. When, when they are gone to the house, when they are gone, the house will sit abandoned, just like the rest. I sat in silence, trying to wrap my head around what Daniel was telling me. Sure, none of the houses in the town were extravagant, but no particular person seemed to be wealthy. But how could they live in a place that they, they all seemed to fear? What do they look like, I asked. Who? Daniel replied, sitting up a little straighter as if, I was, as if surprised by my question. The forest walkers, or the fairies, or whatever you want to call them. What do they look like? I have no descriptions in any of the texts you gave me. The only indication of someone talking to them was your ancestors. I sat up and looked at Daniel with a stern look. Tonight is a full moon. Only a few people have been lost in the woods during the dark in the last ten years. They are angry. You can feel it in the air. I'm going to retire in two years. I spent my life trying to find those missing people. I've been in the woods during the day. They are hard to see. They are tall and very skinny. If you look hard, you can see their outline among the trees. It's very hard to make out, but there are hundreds of them. They are in the woods now. They won't move until dark, but even now, you can look among the tree line and see them standing still. Daniel pointed towards the woods that were across the road from his house. I looked hard, but could see nothing but pines in the fading light. I thanked him for his time and resources and made my way, and made my way back into Diane's parents' house in the waning light. The sun had just set and a cool breeze blew The sun had set and a cool breeze blew over the road and the road and into the woods as if the forest itself was inhaling. I walked along the broken sidewalk, looking into the dark pines to see if I could catch a glimpse of what Daniel was talking about. The moon was full and extra bright. It almost looked like day out with a slightly bluish tint. There was no noise, no bugs, no birds. Only the breeze and my footsteps filled the night air. I would be home in just another 100 yards or so. John! A blood-curdling cry sounded from just inside the forest line. That voice. I knew that voice. It was Diane. The hair on my neck stood straight up. My heart began to pound with a violent fervor. Diane hadn't come back with her mother when I left. If she hadn't made it out of the woods, what if she was hurt? What if she was being taken? John! The scream sounded again. This time it sounded like she was in agonizing pain. I was in the woods 20 yards deep before I realized what I was doing. My, scans, my eyes scanned everywhere frantically. Diane! I called out. There was no answer. Only dead silence. The moon was so bright, I could make out almost everything from the light that was shown through the uh, pine branches. Diane! I was breathing through my mouth now. My breath smashed the frantic pace of my heart. I stood there in silence. I looked hard at the dense pine forest in front of me. Movement caught my eye. I wasn't alone. There was movement everywhere, but I couldn't see exactly what it was. Whatever it was made no noise, and it appeared opaque, almost invisible. As if out of nowhere, the opaque shapes melted, melted into reality. They were human, right? Their skin was white. They had thin leg, arms, and body structure. Their skin looked dry, but rigid like a worm's. Their head was large, white, sideways cones, cone-shaped, with no features, only a small black hole in the front. My muscles tensed as pure fear flowed through me. I couldn't move. I was awestruck and fear-consumed at the same time. Dozens of these things were in front of me. They all looked horribly the same. I wanted to run. I couldn't. One of them slowly moved towards me. Twenty feet from me, it stopped. It was dead quiet. My heart was pounding so hard I could hear it. The hole in the front of his head grew larger as something was pushing out of it. Like the peeling of a sausage casing, the skin of this thing pulled back, and out of the black appeared to be a young woman's head. My jaws dropped. I could feel my heart beat in my ears. Her hair was black and greasy looking. Her eyes were black ovals. Her skin was pale. 
She looked at, up at me. It felt like an eternity as I looked at this human head upon this monstrosity. Her mouth opened. John, her voice echoed, but I knew that voice. It was Diane's. Confusion took over. The woman head on this monster twisted sideways in a horrible manser, man, manner while looking at me with a blank facial expression. John, 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 Diane's voice repeated faster and faster. There was an ear-shattering, maniacal laugh echoed from its mouth, tears streaking down my face as my lips began to tremble. It stopped. From jaw to forehead, this, the woman's face split in half, opening from side to side as if it had been sliced through revealing a mass of razor-sharp teeth and flailing tentacle-like tongues. The creature shrieked. It was so high-pitched and growling that it made the forest shake and my ears ring. I fell backwards onto my back with a hard thud, and for the first moment since I saw the thing, I could move. I began to shuffle frantically backwards, kicking my legs to propel me away from this monstrosity. The creature dropped to all fours and began to rush me in the most inhumane way possible. I knew there was no way to get up and outrun it in time. It was about to be upon me. I raised my arms to cover my face. No, I shouted as I looked away. Nothing. I felt no pain. The creature landed on me. John! Mom! Dad! No! A cry rang out in Diane's voice, only this time it sounded as if it had come from the direction of her home. I immediately stopped looking up at, to comprehend what was happening. The creatures were gone, but something in the underbrush moved violently away from me, tearing up ground and shaking branches as it went. Mary! No! Another voice rang, rang out. It was Robert's. I was still confused and scared, but it was going to stay in the but but I wasn't going to stay in those woods any longer. I ran as fast as my legs could carry me to Diane's parents' house. Robert was in the backyard restraining Mary, who was sobbing. "Let me go! Let me go!" "She's gone. They might take you too," Robert replied, hugging his wife with all his force. "What happened?" I demanded. "Oh my God, John!" Robert said as he as he turned to me in shock. Diane swore she heard you screaming in the woods and ran after you. We tried to stop you. We tried to stop her. A scream of pain from Diane rang out in the distance. My fear and adrenaline rush turned into anger. They took the woman I love. Those hideous things took Diane. Without thinking, I ran into the garage and scooped up the gas can Robert had filled earlier in the day. I scanned the garage frantically and found a propane torch on the shelf. I quickly made my way to, to Treeline in their backyard. Robert, hold this, I commanded, as I shoved the propane lighter into his arms. I began pouring the gas carelessly on the trees and the, and the brush along the forest line. What are you doing? He asked with a puzzled look on his face, still trying to comfort his wife. I looked him dead in the eye and, dead in the eye and cold, stated, Give me the torch. If they want to take her, I'm taking the forest from them. He reluctantly handed over the torch. I had just forced him to, he reluctantly, he reluctantly handed over the torch I had just forced him to hold. The forest was dry. The breeze was blowing into the forest. I opened the propane valve, lit the torch, and tossed it into the brush. In seconds, there was a towering inferno before me. I grabbed Robert and Mary, who were in shock at what I had just done, and dragged them into the front yard. The fire raged quickly and moved faster than anything I've ever seen before. Soon, the entire town was standing on the road, watching the blaze consume the pine forest they had always known. I stood silent among them, among them with rage in my eyes. Su suddenly, inhumane screams of horror and pain filled the air. They were piercing like a knife, causing many people to hold their ears. The townsfolk held their ears tight to block out the sound. Many ran back into their homes in fear, or gripped each other for comfort. Their screams roared deafeningly, deafeningly, on and on, as the fire raged, until as quickly as it started, the screams went silent, but only the blaze could be heard. Someone called the fire department, which alerted the forest rangers. There was nothing they could do. The flames spread so fast that the entire forest was burnt to the ground before they could enact a plan. I admitted to starting the fire, and was arrested that night by the county police. I spent three days in jail with little or not human contact. The cops moved about the office in a frantic manner as if they were swamped with more work than they could handle. They ignored me for the better part of my stay there, only feeding me and checking in on me before night. When I awoke in my jail cell the third morning, Daniel was there to greet me. 
Good morning, I said groggily. He opened the cell. You're free to go, John. What? I was confused and a little shocked. Come with me. He motioned for me to follow him. I stood up and did as he asked. They found Diane. Is she okay? Is she hurt? How? My voice was overjoyed in my confused state. She had some burns, cuts, bruises, suffered from smoke inhalation, and seems to be in shock, but she's alive. Get in the car, and I'll take you to the hospital. I would have told you sooner, but I've, I've been busy with everything that's been going on. Thank God, I shouted. But wait, I'm confused. Why am I going free? Get in the car. I'll tell you about it on the ride over. The car, the car ride to the hospital was about an hour. On our way over, Daniel explained that I was the least of the problems the county had to deal with now. None of the houses in the town were damaged. The wind blew the fire in the opposite direction. Surgeon rescue teams combing the forest at night and early morning found Diane on the lakeshore. She was nude and in shock, but still alive. The biggest issue the county had to deal with was that the hundreds of skeletons found in the forest. They weren't scattered like the victims of a forest fire would be. The, the burnt-out pine tree trunks contained dozens of skeletons, as if they had been stuffed into the trees. Daniel showed me a picture on his phone that he had taken of, at one of the scenes. The photo contained a swollen-looking tree log tree trunk that was burnt out. Inside the trunk, you could see clearly you could clearly see a human skeleton contorted in a horrible fashion, with the tree growing around it. What sound? What looked like wooden veins of bark fused to the skeletons as if they were growing together. Some of the skeletons had been identified by dental record as people who had gone missing in the woods from the early from the early 1660s. Others were determined to be hundreds of years old. The coroner was now trying to figure out whom of whom the skeleton skeletal remains belonged to and how they could have possibly been encased in a tree. Most of my missing person cases will probably be closed because of this, Daniel said, breathing a heavy sigh of relief. I've only slept a few hours in the past few days because of all the paperwork I've had to do on my missing person cases. Daniel dropped me off at the hospital and, and I made my way to Diane's room. Her parents was there. She was bruised and cut up but alive sitting there in her bed. Looking forward, jaw gape, not blinking at all. When I walked in, she turned to me slowly, not blinking. When our eyes met, she began to sob. I ran to her and embraced her, and embraced her warmly. They took me, she said through heavy sobbing. They ripped my clothes and tried to put me in there. Where? I asked, fighting off tears for, for, of my own while continuing to hug her tightly. In the trees. In the trees, she said through, through sobs. They fed the forest with us. The forest was dying and it hungered. Not another word was said. I had just held her tight until her sobbing stopped. When Diane was released from the hospital, we left for home. Her parents boarded up the house and bought a condo close to where we work. It's been years since this happened. We don't talk about it. Her parents don't talk about it. Yet I'm still obsessed with whatever these things were. With the forest gone, a development company bought all of the land that the town set on sheep and turned it into a housing development. No one has since disappeared to my knowledge in that area. There are some reports that the place is haunted and that at night you can still hear strange voices and screams. My camera had been recording the night of the fire. I watched the video once before I deleted it, right before Diane was taken. The latch on the gate was popped by something opaque. My camera couldn't make out. The camera, it then suddenly turned to the forest. My voice. My voice can be heard calling out Diane's name in a scared tone. Diane can be seen running into the forest calling for me. As she disappears beyond what the camera can see, there is voices that, that, that giggles like a small child and then states, We take in a raspy high voice. The brush all around moves violently towards where Diane was last seen before you can hear her screams. I still run my cryptozoology group at the, at the university and have never come across another story of such creatures. As obsessed with I am at trying to figure out what they were, if I, ever, if I ever came across another place that talked about fairies in the woods whom take people, I would probably pass on investigating those stories. Whew. That was... Whoa, that was okay. All right. Oof. I, I don't know, man. I'm kind of, that was pretty, 
pretty wow. I think I'm going to move on to the questions now. <laughs> anyway, share your thoughts with what you thought about that. Was it scary? Did you get chills? Did you think it was, or did you think it was like no walk, like a walk in the park and you could read stories like that all day? All night, alone, in a dark room. That <sighs> freaked me out. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so anyway, on to the questions, I guess. This first one comes from Ivan Russian Daddy. Uh, welcome back, I guess. And your topic suggestion was Nazis. I'm going to assume that you meant to type Nazis. And I said in the first episode, don't get offensive. That could be considered offensive. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to talk about that. Question suggestion. 69. Nice. Dog. Cool. Mission. Uh, your mission is to infiltrate the White House and assassinate the president. What are these? Questions. What is life? Uh, the meaning of life is the number 42. What are titties? Good question. I don't know either. And how do, how, how do baby brains formed? Well, when a mommy and a daddy love each other very much... <laughs> I'm just gonna move on from that. This next topic suggestion is also from Ivan Russian Daddy. You, you said... Baby brain ASMR. I don't have a baby brain. Question suggestion. Big boobs. Cool. Boardman band. Cool. BB. Oh, wait, wait. Big boobs, Boardman band, BB, baby brains. Oh, everything's in a B. Wow. That's so funny. I'm laughing so hard. Uh-huh. All right, and this next episode comes from Olivia, and your topic suggestion is a 10-hour episode of Just Counting. What if I actually did that? What if I actually just re recorded 10 hours of just me counting numbers? That would be pretty funny, but I don't feel I don't feel like sitting down for 10 hours and just counting. So, that probably never going to happen. And your question and your question is at what age of a child are you willing to accept them? When is a child not a baby anymore? Gross babies in parentheses. Well, first off, I couldn't agree more with you when you say gross babies. I hate babies so much. And at what age of a child? Well, babies are a no-go. So newborns, you know, 1-year-old, if they can toddle, they can still be kicked through a field goal, so they're still no. But one, if they, but past a toddler, yeah, I guess they're okay because like, then they're kind of mature enough, you know, because they can walk and whatnot. So toddlers and below, that's what I hate. That's what I refuse to look at without gagging. Just in fact, the thought of it makes me want to throw up. It's just so. All right. The next question is a third one from Ivan. Ivan Russian Daddy. Don't you have anything better to do? This is your third one in, like, this episode, this week. And your topic is gas station and dads. I don't know about gas station. I guess I fart a lot. That's what gas station is, right? And dads. My dad is dead, so... I don't know. And your question... Just says look up meatspin.com. I know what that is. I'm not looking up meatspin.com, and you can't trick me into looking up meatspin.com. So, you know, you tried, but it didn't work. Next, we got one from Bra Bra Razine. I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's Bra Bra R I S I E N E. Razine? Who knows? And your topic suggestion is poop and your question is do you like shit i'm just gonna move on i'm just gonna move on uh this next one is from habakkuk i don't know if i'm saying that right 
Uh, but you just sent in a Bible verse for the topic suggestion, and then your question suggestion is favorite Bible verse. No. Just no. Thank you. I'm gonna move on. <laughs> okay, so what you did, you didn't pick anonymous answer. You picked other, and you still typed anonymous. What? You typed anonymous, but you didn't pick anonymous answer. Wow. Okay. It's kind of funny, though. Uh, and your topic suggestion is the five food groups. One, bread. Two, hella bread. Three, milk. Four, toast. Five, and bread. I don't know where milk comes from, because it's clearly, like, you know, bread. So, you, I think you're, you need to check your information, because it's obviously wrong. And your question suggestion is, would you cut yourself so that you could find an invisible baby in a pond? I'm not sure if anyone is going to get that reference, no matter what I say. So, no. No, I won't. You, this person is from, I'm doxxed, thanks. You're welcome. And your topic suggestion is getting off topic. I get off topic a lot. You know, like, usually I'll end up talking about babies and how much I hate them because they're so fucking stupid and I hate them all. I hate all babies and I want them all to die. I want them to suffer a horrible death. They're so stupid and dumb and they can't do anything for themselves. All they do is cry, shit they pant, and eat. So I hate them. I hate babies. Thank you for listening. What was I talking about again? Oh yeah, getting off topic. There's there's your topic. Bam. I did it. And then question suggestion. What order would you eat your fingers if you were lost in the woods? I would eat my fingers. I'd start with the pinkies because I never use my pinkies for anything ever. Uh, then I'd get my, my ring finger... My, my pinky, ring finger, middle finger, thumb. Well, middle finger because, you know. No, 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 no. I'm going to save the middle finger. So it's pinky first because I don't use that. Ring finger because that's my second least useful finger. Then I'd eat my index finger. So I'd be left with my middle finger and my thumb so I could still grab things. Then I'd eat my thumb. But I'd save my middle finger. I'd save my middle finger so that if I died in the woods... I could be uh, flipping off everybody who found my body, cause it'd just be my, it would just be my middle finger on my hand. So anyone who found my body would get flipped off, and it would be funny. <laughs> this next one. Our next question isn't even a question or a topic. You just sent in a Discord link. I'm not gonna. Okay. We're going to move on. Our next our next one's from Joe Swanson. You know, from Family Guy. Funny Family Guy. Big chin man in a wheelchair. Oof. And your topic is the, fundam the fundamentals of photosynthesis. The fundamentals are, of photosynthesis are very interesting and a very cool thing. Because, uh, like, how does... How do plants eat sun? How does sun... How, like, it's a light. It's not physical... And yet they make, they get energy from it. How does that, like, I don't know how that works. How does that fucking work? It's so weird. And your question is, I don't want to get political or anything. Good, because we're not going to read that. Alright, this one comes from Marshall. Your topic is Marshall and your question is Marshall. Alright. This one is from Olivia, and it's the same exact thing as what you said earlier. Hold on, let me pull it up, because it's exactly the same. Yeah, 10-hour episode of just counting and what age of child am I willing to accept. 10-hour episode of, of just counting and what... Okay. We already answered that one. This next one is an anonymous answer, which is actually our first, technically second anonymous answer. So, like, someone chose anonymous answer. 
no one's actually putting their names except right uh Ivan and Olivia. So maybe I'll just remove it all together and we'll all and everyone will be anonymous. So your topic is Marshall's podcast, but Marshall records while on acid. Stay tuned, because if I can get someone to hook me up with some acid before recording the next week's episode, we might do next week up next week's episode on acid. And it'll be super funny and awesome. So keep an eye out for that. And your question suggestion is favorite Minecraft block. My favorite Minecraft block. That's actually a good question. I've never really thought about... You never really think about what your favorite Minecraft block is until someone asks you what your favorite Minecraft block is. So I kind of... I forgot to think about this. <laughs> Hold on. Well, I can't... Alright, well, my least favorite, for sure, is um, Diorite. It's so useless, no one uses it in their builds, and it looks like bird shit. It looks like actual bird shit. Like, because, who would use that? It's so stupid, and I hate it. I hate diorite. And then, um, my favorite block, call me basic, but it's gotta be oak wood. Because, like, that's my favorite type of wood. It's so, it's used for everything. It's, it's so awesome. It's so cool. What would, what would anyone do without oak wood? Our next one comes from Bang Energy with the little trademark. And the topic is Marshall tries every flavor of Bang Energy on his podcast. Hook me up with every flavor of Bang Energy and I'll try them on the podcast. And your question is, what would you do if Bang Energy trademark sponsored an episode of the podcast? I'd flip my shit. I'd, I want to drink. I, I'd, I'd literally be happy because I really like Bang Energy. Well, I don't really like it. I'll just drink it when I need energy. And, you know, you get what you get, I guess. But recently I found out that the CEO of Bang Energy is a Trump supporter and donated, like, $250,000 to Trump, to, like, Trump's campaign. So, I don't... I don't know. I don't know. Our next anonymous answer... The topic is the origins of the word cunt. When a mommy and a daddy love each other very much. I'm sorry, I'll just move on to the question. And what's your, what is your favorite asshole? What? What kind of question is that? What's my favorite asshole? Do you mean like person who's an asshole? Or just like assholes in general? Because if I had to say assholes in general, I'd say my ass. Because I'm awesome. And I, um, yeah. Our next one is from Ivan Russian Daddy. This is the third one. This is the third one from Ivan. Uh, and your topic is orangutans. Those are so cool. They have long arms and funny faces. You remember that one guy from Donkey Kong? That's an orangutan, I think. Lanky Kong, that's him. And he's awesome. And then you you just suggest for your question you said watch the whole video or else I don't buy merch. Oh yeah, by the way, we've got merch. Buy the merch on the link tree or www.com slash teespring slash stores. No www.com slash no www.com www.teespring.com. Okay, www.teespring.com slash Marshall's podcast, no, slash store slash Marshall's podcast, and you could buy the merch there. We're going to have Marshall 2020 merch because I'm running for president. I'm running for president, and that's all you need to know. I'm going to watch your video now because I want you to buy the merch, and you're, you want to buy the merch too. Oh, I already saw this. It's just two monkeys fighting. It's Japanese monkeys, and they're fighting, and it's that's pretty funny. I've already seen that, though, so I'm not going to watch it again. And then for you... <laughs> you Okay, so this one's from Storming Skies. And your topic is, is a hot dog a sandwich? I mean, it depends on if the bread is still kind of connected to the hot dog. Because then it would kind of be a taco. Because if the bread is still connected to itself and it's folded around the... the and it's folding around the dog... 
then it's technically a taco. But I guess if the bread was broken apart, then it'd be then it'd be a sandwich. And your question is, I need answers. You spelled answers wrong, by the way. And you just got your answers. All right, our next one is from Enrico Fermi. And you just asked a question. It's, what would you choose? What made you choose the Nazi party as your political party? I am no in no political party, okay? I'm in no political party. See, people ask me, Marshall, so you're running for president, Marshall 2020, yada, yada, yada. Which side are you on? I tell them, I'm neither left nor right. I'm ambidextrous. I don't want to go left. I don't want to go right. I want to go straight towards the people, straight towards the country, because I'm going to be a great president and I'm going to list. I'm going to because I'm a great president. OK, I do what other presidents can't do. And I actually listen to the people. The people will be a main part of my of my presidency. And everyone else is stupid and a bad president. And I'm the best one ever. And I'll always be the best one. Marshall Gollings, 2020, the 46th president. Because, you know, just vote for me. Just vote. Even if you can't vote, lie. Vote for me. Vote Marshall. Vote Marshall for president. 